Lord, we thank you that you love us. We thank you that you entered this world, this world where people die, this world where sin has reigned for a little while. Lord Jesus, we pray tonight that you would speak through, you would speak to us. Lord, we need to know that you love us and we need our hearts to hear the good news again. Would you come, Holy Spirit, come and be with us. Speak your truth to us. And may the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be pleasing and acceptable to you, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Today, as you might know, for the first time in 45 years, Ash Wednesday falls on Valentine's Day. Ash Wednesday um, can bring to mind sadness, can be a time when we look at our own mortality, at the fallenness of the world, or anger. I remember my first Ash Wednesday service, I was an adult, and I watched the priest mark babies' heads, children, just brand new with ashes. And now for folks who grew up Anglican, this is just a given, but it shocked me. And I remember I was surprised when I saw him mark these small children with ashes that I felt rage. I wanted to knock the ashes out of his hand. And I don't normally feel outraged as a person, especially in church, so I was surprised. But I was so angry that these children, so brand new to life, were already marked by the reality of sin and death. I was so angry at the reality of sin and death. Whatever you feel about Ash Wednesday, whatever you're coming in with today, Ash Wednesday probably doesn't bring to mind candy hearts and be mine and warm, fuzzy feelings about romance. At least I hope not. And <laughs> Ash Wednesday is always countercultural. Even when it's not on Valentine's Day, it's always countercultural. Our culture does everything it can to avoid thinking about the reality of death. The Texas musician, uh, who I love, by the way, Robert O'Keefe Jr., has a famous song where the chorus says, the road goes on forever and the party never ends. And that's what we're told by our culture, that if we can get enough money or have enough fame or success or health, that the party can never end. Keen, by the way, there is kind of sending that up as a lie that we can live happily ever after, right? That's what we're told. That's how all the fairy tales end, right? Today, we as a church remember together that no, in fact, we will die. Tonight, we practice together St. Benedict's call to keep death always before our eyes. Yet, and this is a very important yet, 
If you are tempted to think that the world is celebrating love and romance and joy, not to mention chocolate and champagne, and we Christians are doom and gloom and some kind of morbid death cult that's stomping out any joy or festivity or happiness, let me tell you and reassure you that we are not here together to glory and death. We are facing reality together. And yet, we are here to celebrate love. Lent, in a very real sense, is a season of joy. Yes, it is a season of penitence, of repentance, a season of fasting and discipline. Even it can be a season of lament. But the scriptures tell us that it is God's kindness that brings us to repentance. And Lent is a season to prepare our hearts for Easter and to gaze at the kindness of God. So tonight, if this sermon had a title, I would call it the Why of Lent. W-H-Y of Lent. Uh, When I was a little girl, my mom said that, um, like a lot of kids, I wore her out with saying, why, why? Why? Apparently I was worse than my brother and sister. I was the kid that always asked, why? Why does it rain? Why do I have to be nice? Why do people sleep at night? Why not sleep in the day? Apparently this is common in toddlers because if you Google it, which I did, there are endless articles telling frustrated parents how to deal with the stage of childhood development called things like, this is my favorite, my kid asked why 17 billion times a day. Uh, which I get that. So I've never really gotten out of that stage of development. (laughs) And, And tonight, I want to ask a series of why questions to lead us through the scriptures. So first question, why is Lent a season of joy? Tonight, in our epistle reading, Paul tells us for our sake... He made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. And I want to sort of zero in to that verse and spend some time there. Because it's astounding. This news is shocking. It's a wonder. The Greek order of words here is more emphatic. It says in Greek, Him that knew no sin, he made sin for us. The passage does not simply say that Jesus became like a sinner. It says he made sin. He became sin. I understand this passage is a paradox and a mystery. And also in light of Galatians 3, which is similar and tells us Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hung on a tree. Jesus fully identified with the curse of sin. He fully and completely assumed the brokenness of all humanity. When I was a younger Christian, I thought that Christianity was mainly about accepting Jesus in your heart so that you could avoid hell. 
And then doing the right things, kind of climbing the ladder of sanctification, climbing the ladder of holiness. And in early college, I uh, went through some stuff that really transformed that, and I've told some of you about that. But one of the things is I saw a presentation of the gospel that changed my life, and it may be very simple, but I'm going to share it with you. I can't even remember, by the way, where I saw this, but I remember the illustration, and they had two books with covers. So I brought two books tonight with covers. And they said, they said that we were to imagine that one of the books contained everything we ever did or thought or said, every hurtful word every selfish inclination, every deep disposition of self-worship or pride, everything. And on that cover was written our name. For me, it would be the book of Tish. For you, the book of, insert your name. The other book contained everything that Jesus did. Every prayer, every righteous act, every act of healing and humility, the very righteousness of God. And on the book cover was written the name of Jesus. And then he told us, this is what God accomplished on the cross. This is what God accomplished through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. God switched the covers. He took everything that we are and he put it on Jesus. And not just me as an individual, but us together. And he took everything that Jesus is and he put it on us. So that when God sees us, he sees Jesus. He sees what Jesus did, who Jesus was. He switched the covers. And so when he sees us, he sees the righteousness of Christ. Christianity is not primarily about me on my own getting better and better. But it is about the work of Jesus who was made sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Tonight, we are going to mark you with ashes, and we are going to remind you that you are going to die, and that the people you love are going to die. And that is a lonely and painful truth that we are proclaiming today. And the curse of sin is not simply that we are going to stop breathing and die physically. But that big D death, capital D death, the disorder and waste of death and of sin reign on earth. Death spoils everything. Not just by taking away our life, but by the curse of sin. By broken relationships with God and with each other and with ourselves and with the earth. And Christ took on himself the fullness of that, the fullness of capital D, death, the fullness of brokenness and the curse. So again, this question, why? 
Why would he do that? Why would he who knew no sin be made sin for us? The scripture tells us he took on the curse of sin so that we might become the righteousness of God. This is not only referring to the righteousness God gives us, though it is referring to that. Nor is it the righteousness that he requires, though it also is referring to that. But this is also referring to the righteousness who God is, the righteousness of God's essential nature. He is righteous. And because of the work of Jesus, we are in Christ. So we take on this gift of righteousness, of justification before God. And because of that, we can become more like him. We can become in communion, in relationship with the Holy Trinity. That is a wonder. Somehow, mysteriously, we who are dust can be formed more and more in the likeness of our maker. We can know eternal life. And Jesus in John 17, this is one of my favorite verses in scripture, in the prayer before his death, he doesn't define eternal life as just avoiding hell or even avoiding death. He calls, he says avoiding life. He says that eternal life is to know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. In Christ, we have life because we can know God and become like him. In him, we might become the righteousness of God. This is what was purchased on the cross for us. This is what happened when God switched the book covers. Theologian Charles Ellicott said, Christ identified with man's sin Mankind identified with Christ's righteousness. This is the truth, simple and yet unfathomable. We do not just recall death tonight. We recall recall together that Christ took on the full curse of death, the full curse of sin, the death that we earned and gave us, his people, the gift of his righteousness, of knowing him, of eternal life. So again, why? Why does he want to give us this gift of righteousness, the gift of knowing him, of knowing God? Do we deserve it? Does he need us? Is he lonely? No. It's because he loves us. And he wants us to, as the scriptures tell us tonight, to be reconciled with God. Did you hear the pleading of Paul in that to the church? Be reconciled with God. I can hear it as a pleading. God longs for that. He loves us. Many of us have heard this since we were little kids. 
But I hope that it still leaves us a little shocked, a little rattled, a little bit in wonder. The answer to all the whys of Lent is ultimately love. As Christians, we are not reveling in death while the culture around us embraces love and laughter on Valentine's Day. We, together on Ash Wednesday, we too will celebrate love. A love more substantial and costly than we can imagine. A love that defeated sin and death. I wrote this week about Ash Wednesday. And I said the contrast on display in this year's Ash Wednesday and Valentine's celebration is not the contrast between romantic love and agape love. Because Christians can and do celebrate both. But instead, the contrast of what I'll call sentimental love and sacrificial love. Self-giving love. Sentimental love is the idea that love is something that is sweetness and ease and chocolate and pink hearts. That love will not cost us much. That it might not cost us anything. But Jesus tells us the greatest form of love is a man laying down his life for his friends. This is what Jesus did for us. In our sin, we were enemies of God. We wanted nothing to do with God. But God himself became sin for us that we could be reconciled to God. Colossians 1 tells us that we were alienated from God, even hostile to God. That's the word that's used. And that Christ has now reconciled us through his body of flesh by his death in order to present us as holy and blameless. His was a costly love. His was a love that entered fully into the sacrifice that love demanded, even into death. And this is a love from which all love in our life, from which all other love on earth flows, not just romantic love, but all love. His love was never sentimental, but it was endlessly passionate. This is a love that assumed a curse and that broke it so that we could know him, so that we could know God. This Ash Wednesday, we remember that we are sinners and that our sin brought suffering and death into the world. In the words of the Book of Common Prayer, we are called to self-examination and repentance by prayer, fasting, and self-denial, and by reading and meditating on God's holy word. We are also called to remember our mortal nature. You and I are going to die. We don't remember this to be goth or depressing or punk rock. We remember it because it anchors us in the truth of our human condition. It also anchors us in the greater resurrected reality of love. We remember death 
we remember reality because it recalls the greater reality of resurrected love. So celebrate love today, but not a trite or sentimental love, but a love that is stronger even than death, a, lo a love that entered into the fullness of human brokenness, that he could call us his friends, that he could call us his bride. Celebrate love today and know that all love flows from the one who knew no sin and became sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God. In the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.